0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to Dare Great Things. And here is your host as we Dare Great Things, Father Nathan Cromley, the President and Founder of the St. John Institute.
1: Ask any organizational leader what the hardest part about their job is, and they'll all say the same thing, managing people. You cannot win a business without your people, but your people can often be the reason why you lose at business. Becoming an excellent manager is an art and a skill as much as it is a natural talent. In chapter three of his work on the rule of shepherds, Pope St. Gregory the Great gives insight that can help all of us in this very difficult task. Welcome, everybody, to this awesome opportunity we have to go deeper in our role as organizational leaders. Taking on some of the harder topics, because let's just be honest. I mean, if all of us looked at our jobs and said, what is the most challenging aspect of what we do? I'm sure a percentage of you would say it is the workflow. A percentage of you would say it is the vision, but most people would look down and say, it's managing my people. As, as beautiful as it is, right? And as much as we acknowledge how much we enjoy being with our colleagues and, you know, that the workplace environment is a place that can lift us up, right, and all of this, and that our team makes us proud and, you know, et cetera, it can oftentimes be the source of the greatest stress. And for many businesses, especially small businesses, it's the reason why they fail, They either can't find good people, right? How many times have we heard ourselves say that, right? I I can't find anybody that's any good, or we can't keep good people or the, the, the people that we have, we can't motivate. In other words, like you could do everything possible, but this person simply won't perform. And then you've got toxic players in the environment that don't even know that they're toxic. They might even be some of the people that you value the most or as a person, or that maybe you, you have a relationship that's the deepest with, but that other people come complaining to you about. And then of course, if you think about everything in, in the workers, then you could say, what about managing in myself? I mean, what if I am as the leader, the, the, the source of that toxicity that I condemn in my staff? I mean, that would even be a worse realization, right? It's almost—it's—it's amazing because it's like this world of business is a microcosm in which all of the the play between virtue and vice, grace and sin actually comes to real practical consequences. You might be able to ignore it in your family and in the environment that you control, but you can see it and all plain as day right there when you take a bunch of people and put them together to collaborate on a project. It's amazing the temperaments that come to play, the strengths that come to play, but also the way that each person carries themselves, even at a spiritual level, comes to play and impacts the people around them. And we who are leading any type of organization towards any type of objective, be that a family at their home, be that in the workplace environment, be that in manual work, be that in office work, Whatever it is, wherever leadership of other people is, is at play, you have to take into account the reality of the people that you're dealing with and the reality of your own self from a spiritual level of our virtue. How is it that my person relays itself to the other? And there are so many wonderful insights to gain on this from so many places. Here's a great example, right? You just, if you think of your greatest strength and you think to yourself, what I'm really good at is sales. I can make relationships with anybody. Usually there's a flip side to that, for example. And yes, you're great at making relationships, but you're not always great at following through on the details necessary to make sure that every T is crossed and I is dotted so that that sale comes home effectively in and, and tra- translates itself effectively into services rendered. It's like, how do you execute against what you sold? Well, I mean, people say that's someone else's job. And in fact, it is someone else's job precisely because the flip side of being really wonderful relationships is that you don't necessarily have the energy or the time to make sure that everything is, is done to the degree that it needs to be done. And so you have other people who might not be really great at relationships, but who are really, really good at focusing in on making sure that all the accounting is done properly and all the forms are filled out and filed on time and in organized fashion. And just as you might be really good at that and say, my goodness, that's where I thrive and I look at that attention. You might, the flip side of that is that you might be completely non-emotionally aware of how things that you do or say impact people that are around you. And, and we all see this, right? You can't have every aspect of leadership that you need under your belt. Not even the saints had that. You know, even you had saints that were really great at leading reforms. They weren't necessarily the gentlest of souls, you know? Then you have other saints who were extremely meek. Well, they weren't the ones that were running armies. You know, it's like you either, you had your Joan of Arcs in the world. I mean, it's not that you can't have a well-rounded person, but you can't get to that being well-rounded if in fact you're oblivious to the places where you need to grow as a human being with God's grace. Christianity is a religion based upon the grace of Christ that perfects our nature, that builds upon our nature, that takes what we are, in other words, takes who you are and brings it to a new level of perfection. And it's almost, it's so great about Christianity is that God does this without destroying your talents. He doesn't ask you to forsake the drive that makes you a great CEO. He's just asking that that drive be coupled with true pedagogy and true ability. In other words, to work with the people underneath you, to bring them up to the level of intensity that you have. If you do, if you have just drive and you don't have that connective force of emotional intelligence to help someone else step into that drive, your leadership will be mitigated you will not have the impact that you could have and that Christ wants you to have on this earth. He doesn't want you just to lead a company, everybody. He wants you to lead the people in the company. And if you're leading the people in the company, that's the work of grace. It requires incredible sanctity, holiness, well-roundedness, virtue, being able to build yourself out correctly. But it doesn't mean destroying the masterpiece that God made you. And that might mean that, yes, you might not be able to be both this and that, but at the same time, you can understand, empathize, and collaborate correctly with all the different types of people that are around you. And that's the real key. It's not to say that I, who am a bookworm and therefore I'm in, a, in the library, am somehow you know, inefficient. It's like we, the library needs to be taken care of. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine a world with no accountants, no librarians, no no, no! IT people, I mean, it'd be a terrible world. The thing wouldn't work. Not only wouldn't it work, but it would work poorly. We, the beauty of the care of God to the things that are in, of detail and to making sure everything is in fact in its right place is an image of God and it's an act of leadership over this world. It's just that, boy, if I am aware that by doing that, I have to also admire and give respect to those who are driving things forward and creating the messes that I have to clean up. You know, well, then I'll be able to actually collaborate with that person correctly. I'm thinking of that funny statement someone once said, ah, yes, visionary leaders, they live the dream and everyone underneath them has to live the nightmare <laughs> but I think we get the point here and the beautiful thing about Christ is he's called you into this act of leadership to stretch you to say we're going to build with my grace upon the greatness that you have inside but we're not going to leave you there we're going to perfect it by bringing all that greatness to its true virtue where, which can collaborate
0: well with one another and then we're true leaders Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today.
1: So how do I become a better manager? How do I manage my people better? And of course, we're thinking of this in the world of business and it can be applied at the same time, of course, in, in our home lives as well. Because what we see in business, remember, are everybody's, somebody's children, right? Some, my colleague was reared in somebody's family, right? So like this is all an, an expression in the world of business of the life of the family, which is the fundamental cell of our society. Well, how do I, but how do I do it? We know we can rise, we can fall if we do our, this, this well or if we don't. Well, so let's do it well. Pope St. Gregory the Great was this amazing figure in the sixth century. He was the Pope there in Italy of the Catholic Church. He was also a bishop. He was an abbot and he was an expert on the human person. He really understood what makes people tick. And you're going to be able to see this when you read his awesome book On the Rule of Shepherds. This is actually going to be focusing in this seminar on book three. I wanted to take a a brief series, but look at some of his amazing insights as a leader of people, because you would think that, you know, what does a bishop know about leading people? And I would like to say he better know everything (laughs) because the church's main function is the people of God. It's helping people to grow, to be better people. That's actually what we're supposed to be doing. And as such, the Catholic church or any church organization really ought to be the expert place for understanding how people work and how to make people work better. So if you take a look at some of the management techniques that the church would employ or the wisdom of the saints about the growth and the interaction of of human people, you'll find no better resource to understand how to manage people then coming from the wisdom of the saints, if we really think that God's grace makes us better, better people and that the church is there to give and to incorporate God's grace into people, well, then the Catholic church ought to be the greatest school for leadership that there is. And I think that it is. So we're looking here today at book three from Pope St. Gregory the Great. And here in this book, it's so wonderful what he does. He actually says this entire book three of the, on the rule of shepherds, which he wrote for future bishops, is dedicated to the art of communication. Now, he doesn't say that as such, but in his prologue, he puts it this way. The discourse of teachers ought to be fashioned to the quality of the hearers. That's a fancy way, of course, of speaking to say the fundamental law of communication. You start your communication with your listener. What do they need to hear? He says, quote, for the things that profit some often hurt others, seeing that also for the most part herbs, which nourish some animals are fatal to others. And the gentle hissing that quiets horses incites whelps. And the medicine which abates one disease aggravates another. And the bread which invigorates the life of the strong kills the small. All right? So like you can kind of understand here what he's saying. Our words can't be spoken in the same way to every audience. Neither can our actions be the same thing to everyone that we interact with. We need to be able to adjust. And the very first principle of knowing how to adjust your action to make the impact that you need to make in the people around you is to know your listener, to understand the people that are in front of you and how they function, how they work in order to give them what they need. It's very hard, which is why God called you to be that leader. It's because obviously it's going to cause you to stretch. The easiest thing in the world is just to be yourself, not to care about other people and to just go blithely through the world, acting like you have no idea how other people are feeling. It takes an incredible amount of skill and patience to be able to deftly use what you have inside of yourself in the way that's going to most benefit the people that you are influencing. But my friends, this is a big part of what leadership is all about. So he goes through in this book three, and he gives a whole series of categories of people that he then explains. These are different ways that you can approach these people. And I've got to admit, I'm just rather amazed at how deep and intense this man is and his insights. He's going to go on to give like 38 different kinds of approaches to 38 different situations that can happen. Now, I'm not going to have time in the seminar here to go through all 38 of those because obviously it's just going to be too long, but I really hope you can go through them on your own and study these because in fact, they're very applicable to the situations you're going to find yourselves in. I bet most of you managers out there are going to be able to recognize people, in other words, on your team and people with whom you've had interactions and be able to apply this directly to them. Let's begin, for example, with chapter 16. And he's talking about the difference between the meek and the passionate. He calls this admonition number 17. And in admonition number 17 here, he describes it's almost uncanny. You can tell that he's been in leadership. You can tell that he's been an organizational leader who's had to deal with people of so many different stripes because he depicts this to a T. He describes how differently you have to approach one of your people who is overly meek compared to the way that you have to approach a person who is overly angry. And he opposes these two as two different extremes on the same pendulum swing. Okay? So, on the one hand, both of them have engagement, but one, meekness, for example, overemphasizes the relationships with others. Whereas the anger overemphasizes the task to be accomplished, right? And so you've got in both extremes, you've got workers who have to accomplish something, but some will be so attentive to the feelings of those around them, the other people on the team, so attentive to the, 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 the fear that they have of conflict that in fact, because they're afraid of conflict or they're afraid to assert themselves correctly, they end up by falling into sloth. Right? So in other words, they run away from the conflict that's in front of them so much that they end up not doing what they need to get done. It's easier, in other words, to busy yourself and act very busy, but not actually get work done. How, how many people do we know that fit into this category? That's, he says it's not necessarily that they're bad workers in and of themselves. They might be disciplined. They might be you know, driven. But if they are overly meek, they will hide from what needs to be done. And that when it's done repetitively can end up being the sin of sloth. Sloth, It means just, you're just too darn lax. You're too gentle, he says. For for the most part from the laxity, he says, of too great gentleness, they soften the force of strictness beyond need, right? So they soften things because in the end it's just easier. But that's obviously in contrast with the other extreme, which is of those who are passionate. And he says, they sweep on into frenzy of mind by the impulse of anger, break up the calm of quietness, and so throw into confusion the life of those that are put under them. I thought that was a really fun one, and he ends up going a lot more about how you admonish the angry than he does how do you admonish the weak, even though he says both, but it's just you can see that he's dealt with these people before, and what a great description. Their anger breaks up the calm of quietness and throws into confusion the life of those that are put under them. Very interesting. So on the one hand, you've got nothing getting done because the, the person is slothful who can be overly meek. They don't, they don't want to try any new projects. You know, Nothing new gets done. They don't try to actually accomplish what's in front of them. They're just kind of like tiptoeing their way through the tulips of life. Yeah. Well, and then on the other hand, you can have an equally disruptive force. Someone who is instead, they might be doing things, but it's always something that's full of, so full of anger and fury that people underneath them can't actually work. Here's what he says. For when rage drives them headlong, they know not what they do in their anger. They know not what in their anger they suffer from themselves. But sometimes what is more serious, they think the goad of their anger to be the zeal of righteousness. And when vice is believed to be virtue, Guilt is piled up without fear. The result of an over-angry manager will be people walking around constantly feeling guilty, constantly feeling like they're not good enough. And they'll pile, the angry manager will pile all of that up on his people or her people, right? Thinking that actually it's because they're doing the right thing. We're being zealous. We're attacking this project. We're going to do it right But if they, if they attack that while managing their people with that much anger, it's going to end up by creating guilt and a a sense of guilt and and within the people, which will actually demotivate them. Very interesting. And we want to take a look at both this meekness and this anger and what Gregory, how he treats them further on in chapter 16 throughout the rest of this
0: seminar. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today.
1: So once again, we're looking here at, at how Pope Gregory the Great tries to analyze what's at the heart of broken collaboration. And what we as true leaders are supposed to do about it. And he starts by describing this situation where you could have folks that are either lacking in that drive, right? That comes from a good sense of anger, right? A fire in their belly. And then you've got people that are just have way too much fire in their old belly, right? And because of that, they end up creating a spirit of guilt, a spirit of fear, and, you know, on the other hand, the meek end up getting nothing done and no one really wanting to follow them anyway. And both of them are extremes that we have to avoid. He goes on, he says, this is why the Holy Spirit has been manifested to us in a dove and in fire, because the passionate are to be admonished that the zeal which they think they have needs meekness and the meek are to be admonished that They need the zeal of righteousness. Both need each other, in other words. And we who are the leaders of people like this need to find the way to help the meek to actually become more zealous and help the angry to actually become more meek. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, the easy one. He talks about the meekness and says that meekness, of course, is not a bad thing. It's good to have people that are gentle. It's good to have people that, you know, actually care about the emotions of those who are around them. It's good to have people that don't want to disturb things. Obviously, conflict is not the goal here. And it sure is nice when you find people who are not conflictual. So what can we do to help them to become more assertive? And he says, you need to add to meekness solicitude, right? So to help the meek become actually more caring about the details that will be lost by if they are overly meek. If they don't assert themselves, what are the consequences that will happen? Do you really care about those consequences? By caring, the meek person is brought without losing that beautiful, gentle uh, uh, understanding that can be so useful in the workplace and so helpful for a team to gel, but they'll be able to add to it if they add caring or solicitude to their tasks They'll be able to get the drive that they need to actually move forward, even when it's easier just to let things go. Now, on the other hand, what do you do with the angry person? Well, here he quotes 2 Timothy 4, 2, and Titus 2, 15, two words of the Bible where he says, listen, Timothy, reprove, entreat, and rebuke with long-suffering and doctrine." And he emphasizes that St. Paul says with long suffering, because Timothy already has the fire in his belly, he's already doing a good job, but he needs to have that temperance to pull himself back, to be patient with the people that are around him so that he doesn't just cause strife all the time. And so it's neat. Assert yourselves. In other words, it's not wrong to be assertive. It's not wrong to be direct. It's not wrong to be strong. Obviously we need all of that. Just like it's not wrong to be emotionally intelligent in tune with conflict and not wanting to, to uh, disturb the waters. It's not that either one of them are wrong It's that you have to combine them together in order to get a really effective working environment. So what do you do specifically when folks suffer really from anger in your environment? Or if you yourself are somebody who people tell is an angry boss. Number one, be very careful of it because it will not motivate effectively the people that are around you. Anger needs to be used sparingly, says Pope Gregory the Great. It's a very powerful tool. It can be effective in certain environments, but it has to be tempered because otherwise you will build up fear and build up guilt in everyone that works for you. And you might not even realize it. But so be careful how much you use anger. Now, anger doesn't just mean a a corrective force about what people are doing. By anger, he's actually speaking of this fire of drive and the drive to perfection can actually drive your people away. It sounds like it's righteous. And sometimes you can even have employees that are that way. And they'll tell you, I am tough and I demand accountability because the job needs to be done right like, well, correct. But if you're not emotionally intelligent enough, you will actually be turning everyone who's supposed to be collaborating with you away. And that's actually not going to be what we need in order to build the team. You might be angry, but your anger is misplaced. So he says, you gotta be careful. When someone is expressing the steeps of rage, you need to, in fact, sometimes let the rage play out and not say anything except remain extremely calm. He says the way to fight someone who's angry is to, is to say things that are exact, that are blunt, but that are calm so that the person in a sense doesn't get their rage fed into. They don't even know what they're talking about, but instead finds that the ground that they're standing on is shaken out from underneath them. You have to be strategic. Sometimes he says, raising your voice if that's what's needed because otherwise they'll think you're afraid. But in the end, undoing the anger of the person in front of you by taking the cause of their fury away from them. And this is a great, of course, management technique and a great encouragement for everybody who's on our teams that we manage, not to allow yourselves to be dominated by the angry, but at the same time, not to think that we could make the world go by without them. We need to channel that anger correctly, not into fury that's, that's disproportionate but into a real drive to get things done together. If you're really that passionate about the job to do, then you realize that the most effective, efficient, and pleasant way to get it done is by doing it with your team. That's something we can all get
0: behind. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at org. That's info at org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.